What circumstances in your life can rob you of the joy of your salvation? As a believer, salvation has to be the single most precious gift that we possess. And I believe one of the reasons we allow circumstances in our lives to rob us of the joy of the Lord is because we forget who we were before Christ saved us. We forget that Paul wrote what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in chapter 2 when he said that we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins and we were following the course of the world. We forget where we came from and where we are. Is it not when we focus on the course of this world that we get discouraged and we get distracted from the joy of the Lord? When we focus on self rather than on Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, if we would just stop there and think about that for a little bit, ponder that, think of that statement, God in his rich mercy loved us with a great love, a great love while we were dead, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead means dead. We were dead, and he made us, and us is every single person from eternity past till eternity future who will ever put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He made us alive together with Christ. So we were dead, and just like Jesus rose from the grave and he defeated death, he has made us alive with him. And not only that, but we have been made to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul experienced on the road to Damascus. Paul was not seeking for God. And I believe Pastor Mike mentioned this last week, actually, that Paul himself was actually thinking he was doing a service to God by arresting the Christians by putting them in jail and even allowing some to be killed. And so to, so to go from being dead in our trespasses and sins to alive with Christ, to go from a guilt-filled life to having a clear conscience is so great that we should never lose our joy of this incredible event in our lives. Paul said to the Romans in Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God is a hope, is a God of hope. He is our only source of hope for the future. And then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can abound in hope. When I was reading this to Chrissy yesterday, this is when she said, So when are you going to get to the message? (laughs) I'm still working on my introduction. It's coming. In Romans 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then one more in Romans fourteen seventeen, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of the righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The context there is not 
is about not being a stumbling block to others by what we eat or drink, but it also serves to show us that we as believers have the hope in God that cannot be shaken by circumstances around us. There's nothing around us that should rob us of the joy of our salvation. Our hope and our joy comes from the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him, so God keeps him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, whose mind is stayed on God. God keeps him in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Those who keep their mind on Christ and those who trust him will be kept in perfect peace by none other than God himself. It is not our responsibility, but God will keep us here when we strive to serve Christ in all for all that he has done for us in saving us. And so when we then think of Paul in a Roman prison, we know he was not distracted by his circumstances, but he kept his mind on Christ, on his mission, and he trusted God in every situation. And so that leads me to the text here this morning that we want to look at. And so we are just, again, reminded that he is writing from a prison cell, from a from a, in, from a prison where he is chained to a Roman guard. It wasn't any normal prison cell. He had, he had some liberties. Um, he, was un, in a, he was kept in a house, but constantly chained to a Roman guard to keep him from escaping. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, this is Paul's response, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And then he goes on, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul states two ways that the gospel is advancing in this portion. First, by what he is allowed to do by sharing with the prison guards and whoever comes to see him. And second, by the brothers who are willing to go out and preach the word, who are taking confidence and courage from him and going out and preaching the word. And not always with the right attitude, it seems, not with sincerity, but nonetheless, the gospel was being preached there. And for those two things, Paul says, I rejoice. And so we will look first at the gospel going out by Paul's ability to preach to the guards and his guests or to the unbelieving Roman imperial guard. In Romans chapter 1, we can read of Paul's desire to go to Rome and be an encouragement to the believers there, but also to spread the gospel there. In Romans 1.8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul has a strong desire to go to Rome. He is driven by a passion to preach the gospel to the whole world. 
And Rome being the largest city at the time and was the capital city as well, Caesar was ruling from there. And so whatever took place there in Rome was known to the whole world. It was proclaimed to the world. Paul says in Romans 1.8 that he thanks God for them, for the believers there, because their faith is proclaimed to the world. So it seems even the church there was making the news around the world for their faith, and Paul was thankful for that. So what kind of took place in Rome kind of made, made its way to the surrounding world. So Paul was longing to go there, but was also content in knowing that it had not been God's will for him to go at that point when he wrote Romans chapter 1. And then he says in verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So Paul, longing to go to Rome, he prayed for God to take him there. He prayed for God to make a way for him to go there. And yet, until this point, he had not been able to go there yet. And he understood that that was God's will. It was God's doing, not his, because he had a longing and a desire to go there. And so he's content with God's will in that. And it's just another example of Paul trusting God and not in his own circumstances or in his own wherever he is at the time. And so the Philippian church, um, we know, sent a brother to go check up on Paul. They sent Amphroditus to minister to Paul and see how he was doing. They would have heard of Paul's journey to Rome. They would have been aware of some of the events that took place, the shipwrecks and all the hardships that took place between Jerusalem and Rome. And so they were uh, wondering, or they were uh, curious to know how he was doing, and they were burdened for Paul, and they wanted to know how he was doing. So they sent Ephroditus back. They sent Ephroditus to him to check on him, to bring to be an encouragement to him, but also to see how he was doing. In Philippians 2.25, Paul says that he wants to send Ephroditus back to them who they had sent as a messenger and a minister to Paul. He had been in prison for a better part of four years by now, maybe even over. Um, Acts tells us he was first arrested in the temple, brought before the Jewish council, and after the scribes and Pharisees had tried to kill him, eventually he ends up before Felix, the governor. And Felix kept Paul in prison for two years, according to Acts 24, verse 27. And then Paul appeals to Caesar and eventually makes his way to Rome. And it was a long journey. Uh, many events took place there. You can read of that um, in Acts 24 to 20, right through to 28. Um, and we know that the church at Philippi, they loved Paul. They cared for him, and they would have been aware of these hardships and struggles that he had faced along the way. And so then we know that they sent a messenger to minister to Paul and see how he was doing. And Paul loved the church as well as they loved him. And he had planted that church in Philippi. Uh, he was there when that church was born, and he would have had a desire to let them know. And so when we just think of that messenger for a minute here, think of Aphrodite coming all that way to check up on Paul. Um, would have been a long journey for him as well, leaving his home, leaving his 
his church family to go and check on Paul, more than willing to do to serve the church in that way, to go and, and be that messenger for them, I'm sure. Um, and he's finally there, and he's excited to see Paul. And this is what, this is the first response he gets from Paul, who has been in prison that whole time. He says in his letter that he's writing to give to Aphrodite, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so Paul is showing his love for Christ and his desire to serve Christ in any and every circumstance. He says the gospel is advancing. Advancing or progressing here, according to most commentaries, describes not merely moving ahead, but it's doing so against obstacles. Uh, the related verb was used of an explorer or of an army advance team hacking a path through dense trees and underbrush, moving ahead slowly and with considerable effort. So the gospel is advancing. It is going, doing so um, with many obstacles, with many hardships, with many things in the way, but nonetheless, it is advancing. And we know that Paul faced many of these things. And it was no different here. It was difficult being in prison for Paul, but yet the gospel was advancing. And this is ultimately the reason why Paul went to Rome. He wanted to be in Rome in the first place. It was five years, five, six years earlier when he wrote that letter to Romans, when Paul said that he longed to go there in his own words, to reap some fruit amongst the believers there and also amongst the rest of the Gentiles in Rome. And Paul would have never have drawn it up that way. He would have never have thought that this would be the way that he would end up in Rome to share the gospel. But yet here he was, a prisoner in Rome, awaiting trial. When Paul arrived in Rome, he was allowed to stay by himself with one Roman soldier who guarded him, Romans twenty-eight sixteen. The Roman soldier who was not just any soldier, it was of the imperial guard. This is not totally clear as to what this means. A few times the word that is used for the imperial guard or for the, um, to translate to imperial guard is used in scripture to refer to the praetorium. In the gospels, it is referred to as the Roman governor's residence, Matthew twenty-seven twenty-seven translates this words as the governor's headquarters. In the ESV, in the New King James, says the praetorium. The King James Version says common hall. So it is the same word that is being used in all these translations, and but the meaning, the same area of the governor's headquarters. So it is a place that it's referred to. And yet here in Philippians, it says, uh, in the ESV version, it says the imperial guard. And the New King James version says palace guard. So in, other, in all other instances, the Bible uses this word to refer to as a place. And But here Paul uses it to refer to individuals. And we know this because of what he says next. The gospel is becoming known to the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So he says, to all the rest, or all the other people besides the imperial guard. The imperial guard is believed to have been 
handpicked soldiers by the governor himself to protect his residence and his city. They were placed throughout Rome to serve as special forces, in a sense, to guard the city and the kingdom. And Paul was chained to one of these Roman handpicked imperial guard soldiers. And he was chained to him 24 hours a day. Reading a, a, a message by Mike Riccardi on this, he wrote um, in Acts 28, verse 20, when Paul first comes to Rome as a prisoner, he speaks of wearing this chain for the hope of Israel. In Ephesians 6.20, he calls himself an ambassador in chain, in chains. This word for chain that is being used describes an 18-inch long chain that attached at one end to a handcuff on the wrist of Paul and at the other end to a handcuff on the wrist of a Roman guard. There wasn't an hour in the day when Paul wasn't chained to a Roman soldier of the imperial guard, end of quote. So the conditions were not great, and yet the gospel was advancing. Against obstacles, people were being saved. More and more of these soldiers would have come to realize that Paul probably should not even have been in prison. They would have come to know Paul, his love for Christ, his sincerity for the gospel, his grace, his humility, and his contentment to Christ, or commitment to Christ. And not only is the gospel advancing among the imperial guard, but also to all the rest. That is, his imprisonment was for Christ, and people were coming to Paul as they heard of his imprisonment, and he was able to share the gospel with all of them. And it was rubbing off on all the believers as they witnessed Paul preaching the word of God. All the soldiers who were now believers and the others were now much more bold to preach the gospel themselves, according to verse 14. They saw Paul and his distress, and yet they never waver, and yet he never wavers from preaching the gospel, and they saw the effect it had on themselves. They came to realize that through Paul's imprisonment, the gospel was brought to them. And it gave them courage to preach and take the gospel out, even when circumstances may not have been the best. They were much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so these saints were leaving the house where Paul was being kept, and they were sharing the gospel with the world around them. They were being encouraged by the example Paul was showing them. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 21, when Paul is closing this letter to the church, he writes, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. And then he says, All the saints greet you. So all the saints that Paul come into contact with while at Rome are passing on their greeting to the Philippian church. But then he says, Especially those of Caesar's household. This is how effective the gospel was being taken out from Paul's prison house. Even in Caesar's household, people were being saved. What a glorious thought this was to Paul. And he was sure to mention this right off the bat, right in the beginning. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. People are being saved, and in that, Paul says, I rejoice. But that is not the only reason Paul rejoices. He says, the second observation here um, is he rejoices because the gospel is going out by others as well. Not just advancing 
from him being able to preach, but it's also advancing by others who are going out to preach the gospel. So he says in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So just to remind us all again that Paul does not let false teachers off the hook. He would not be okay with unbelievers preaching the word of God without calling them out. In chapter 3, verse 2, he actually warns the church, the Philippian church, in this very letter to look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers. He warns against these types of people who want to lead the sheep astray. In Galatians 1, verse 9, Paul writes very harsh words to those who seek to spread a false gospel. He says, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you have received, let him be accursed. So Paul is very bold and quick to call out anyone who would be hindering the gospel in any way. And yet here in verse 15 he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but he says nothing to condemn them. So when he says some, he is referring to some of the group of people he mentioned earlier. He was talking about brothers. In verse 14, he says, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak without fear. And so here, when he says some, he is saying some of these brothers that I mentioned in verse 14. He calls them brothers. They are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry. And in verse 17, he adds selfish ambitions. This sounds terrible. We can hardly imagine a believer would do such a thing. How can Paul not be condemning these men? Again, I'd like to quote Mike Riccardi here. He says, Nevertheless, as we all are far too familiar with, we who have been redeemed and clothed with the righteousness of Christ have often forget who we are in Him, and we continue to put on the deeds of darkness. Though the penalty of sin has been paid for, the power of sin has been broken in our lives, and the presence of sin is still very much manifest in our flesh. We have not yet been made perfect, and so we continue to do battle with our flesh until the day of Christ Jesus. End of quote. So, is that not the truth? Can we we can always so easily point out sin in others' lives and yet not see the sin in our own lives. And yet we know we all battle with it. We all battle with sin every day. And Paul knows what these men are doing. It seems they are envious towards Paul's ministry. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe they got tired of so many other Christians talking about Paul during his time in prison. Many would have been waiting, many believers would have been waiting to see what happens to Paul uh, once his trial is complete. Because many of them would have been believers as well. And if Paul got sentenced to death, they would also know the fate that is coming to them. So he would have been um, in many conversations, I'm sure. And these preachers 
seems like they were competing with Paul and they were going, doing it out of selfish ambitions and not sincerely. So how or what led these teachers to be envious towards Paul is not clear, but yet we know from this letter that they are, they did not have well wishes for Paul. They were thinking to inflict Paul in his imprisonment. The only way it would have inflicted Paul would have been if Paul would have been just like them. If Paul's motivation would have been to to inflict others or to have maybe the largest crowd or to... If his motivation would have been anything else other than just to share the love of Christ with the world, he would have been inflicted by this. This would have bothered him, but it did not because he was not like them. Jonathan Edwards wrote, There is a pretend boldness for Christ that arises from no better principle than pride. A man may be forward to expose himself to the dislike of the world and even to provoke their displeasure out of pride. For it is the nature of spiritual pride to cause men to seek distinction and singularity and so oftentimes to set themselves at war with those that they call carnal that they may be more highly exalted among their party. This could have very well have been the case with the men who were preaching out of envy and robbery. Spiritual pride, motivated by their selfish ambition to outdo Paul. But those that preached faithfully because they were motivated by the fact that Paul never stopped preaching even though he was in prison. It says they knew he was there for the defense of the gospel and it motivated them. It gave them courage to preach. The love of God will of this group I think I have a misprint there. The love of God in this group of dear brothers is grounded upon their knowledge of God's sovereign purpose in Paul's ministry. The love of God, the love and goodwill. There we go. I knew I was missing something. The love and goodwill of this group of dear brothers is grounded upon the knowledge of God's sovereign purpose in Paul's ministry. They knew that he was there for the defense of the gospel mentions that. And so they understand God's sovereign plan for Paul's ministry. And they are out and they are out preaching the gospel to fill the void that is being left by Paul being in prison. They're doing it out of their love for Christ and hoping out of their love for Paul as well to be a blessing to him. And no doubt that it would have blessed Paul to hear of these men preaching the gospel in places where he longed to be. And then in verse 18, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul was not robbed of his joy. Even after two years of being tied to a Roman guard, stuck in that house, he was preaching. People were being saved. There was brothers going out from there and preaching the word that would lead others to Christ. And that may have been It may not have been the way Paul imagined his trip to Rome would be, but yet he knew it was happening just as the Lord had planned it. And the gospel was not hindered, and so there was nothing left for Paul to do but rejoice. Matthew Henry's commentary, he says, The apostles were 
The apostle was a prisoner in Rome, and to take off the offense of the cross, he shows the wisdom and goodness of God in his sufferings. These things made him known, where he would never have been otherwise known. Because of the circumstances, he was known in places he would have never, ever been known otherwise. And this is so true. And Paul was able to share the gospel in unique ways, and it brought many to Christ, even in Caesar's household. He was able to write, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these letters during that time that he wrote to the Philippian church and to the other, and the other prison, apostles, uh, prison epistles. And so we need to see that in our lives. We need to see our troubles and trials in life as they may lead to the good of many. And we must continue to stay the course and trust God in every trial. Matthew Henry's commentary also says, Let us leave it to Christ which way he will make us serviceable to his glory, whether by labor or suffering, by diligence or patience, by living to his honor and working for him, or dying to his honor and suffering for him. Let us leave it to Christ. And so the Lord, so is the Lord doing or allowing something in your life right now that is allowing you to be hindered from experiencing the true joy of salvation? That is a good question for all of us to ask ourselves. I would venture to say on a daily basis. Are we allowing circumstances in our lives to hinder us from rejoicing with Paul for the joy of salvation? Let's take courage from men in the past who have done so and in the present who are doing so. Let's stand for the truth today and let us rejoice in the gospel. And I pray that we will continue to share the gospel wherever and in whatever circumstances we face in our lives. Even as we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 55, God's thoughts are not as our thoughts and his ways are not as our ways. This would have been so... uh, True in in Paul's days, I'm sure, when he was in prison there. God may be using your circumstances, whether good or bad, wherever you may be this very instance, to bring someone else to faith in Christ. Take courage, trust the Lord, praise God, and rejoice. He is worthy of all our praises, even when we might not like where we are. We do not know what he is doing. Let's pray. God, we, we trust you. We are so grateful that you are a God who is worthy of our trust and you have never failed a single one of your children, God. And we just pray that we would take courage in that and that we would just have such a deep desire in our hearts, God, a desire that burns with passion to take your message, your gospel message to the world, that there would be nothing in this world that could hinder us from doing that. Help us, God, to be bold. Help us to be gracious. Help us to be loving and kind. But help us most of all, Lord, to be faithful to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.